This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hi, Trekkies. Welcome back. To start out today, we've got some shout outs. Yeah, um, I want to thank Commander RJ Lady Moody for supporting us on Twitter and telling all of their friends that they love us. Uh, thank you. Also, we got some new reviews on Apple Podcasts from Peter is Gay and Leish76. Thanks so much. Uh, we appreciate the feedback. Don't forget that you can also be rating and reviewing us, especially on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you tweet at us or about us, we will mention your Twitter handle in our podcast. What was that person's Twitter handle? Commander RJ, C-M-D-R-A-R-J-A-Y. Thanks, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of feedback, we've created a survey uh, especially for you, if you go on to intertractional.com or onto our Facebook page, you can find the link to it. We're doing this survey because we want to get some feedback from you about our episode structures and like what kind of topics you want to learn about and um, other stuff. We just want to know what you're thinking yeah. and we want to know how we're doing. Uh, so, you know, do it. And that'll be... <laughs> intertractional.com slash e slash fan survey our guest our guest oh wait what oh people died that's true uh this, this sucks this has been so this will be airing like about a week after a week of pretty significant losses within the star trek family yeah uh dc fontana died uh otherwise known as Dorothy Fontana, who is one of the most prolific Star Trek writers. She wrote on the original series. She was in instrumental in like establishing what kind of stories were going to be told on The Next Generation. She created a lot of the, the canon uh, backstory for Spock and was heavily involved and I think uh, mostly in charge of the animated series, which is my favorite Star Trek. <laughs> so that's amazing. We're going to talk more about her in the future. Um, also, Renee Aubergenois. Who also, played Odo. Yes. And on Deep Space Nine. On Deep Space Nine and also directed a lot of episodes. Uh, also passed away. He's a really good actor. You will be missed. And then, you know, because tragedy comes in threes, in the same week, uh, Michael Lambert, who was uh, Marina Sirtis's husband, also passed. Um, we're thinking about her and uh, are very sad that one of our favorite Star Trek actresses is going through a hard time in mourning right now. We're all holding her in our thoughts. Yes. Yeah. So uh, putting that aside, we just wanted to give a little note before we go into the episode. We invited our internet friend, Kevin, to be our guest. It just so happened that the weekend that we were recording this episode, his girlfriend, Robin, was coming into town to visit him. And instead of like asking her to go occupy herself while we were recording, 
we were like, yeah, come be our guest also. And so that's why we call her our like bonus guest. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really happy to have both of them. So thanks to <laughs> thanks to Robin and to Kevin for both being our first guests on Intertractional. We had so much fun recording with you. I hope that you like the way that this episode came out. I love it. Enjoy. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. We have our very first ever guest. Someone who I know about from Star Trek shitposting mm-hmm. and uh, finally meeting in real life. Uh, Kevin is here. Well, hello, Ryan. Hello, Becca. Thank you for having me on. It's really an honor and a privilege to be your first guest. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm immensely flattered. Kevin is the creator of Let's Warp Off with Kevin, a YouTube series, and is the resident meme lord of Star Trek shitposting group also known as The Kevin, also known as The Emissary, also known as The Wholesome One. I can't believe you said all those titles. Thank you. And thank you, as thank an you. extra special bonus, we have Robin here with us also. Robin is a lifelong Star Trek fan and cosplayer extraordinaire. Thank you, ladies. I'm very honored to be here as well. Yay. All right. What is the theme for today? So the theme for today is as close as I can nail it down. What is man? What is what is man? How is how is wire men? Wire men. But what is masculinity? Yeah. yeah. What happens when men lose control? So we looked at the enemy within, and uh, we looked at bound from Enterprise again. I'm just gonna remind all of you to be. Watching Enterprise. I actually do yeah. love this last season of Enterprise, which this episode is in. It's not really a great episode of the season, though, but I think the last season of Enterprise is a lot of fun, a lot of great TOS connections. People yeah. really hated Enterprise, and I, I don't know why. I like it. Yeah. I there think are a lot it's of great 80% episodes, the theme song. <laughs> it's, like, so bad. Oh, oh. Um, actually, some of us would argue about that, and we sing it together almost every day. I've drunkenly sung... Yes. That song. You will hate it and hate it Bad. and hate it until one day all of a sudden you love, love it. it. Yeah. That's and then you will think that it makes sense that they have chosen the most banal lyrics that you can ever think of. <laughs> it does make sense. Um, Do you want to read a summary? Yeah. The Enemy Within, which is the original series uh, episode four, season one, or episode six if you're watching on Netflix, aired in October of 1966. While surveying the planet Alpha 177, a random geological technician injures himself and is beamed back to the Enterprise for treatment. He is covered with a mysterious yellow ore, which may cause some kind of transporter malfunction. The next person through the transporter is Kirk. He's dizzy and disoriented, and Scotty escorts him to sickbay, leaving the transporter room unattended. As it turns out, the transporter is malfunctioning, and seconds after leaving, a duplicate Kirk appears. An evil, sweaty duplicate. (laughs) Sweaty Kirk roams the halls of the Enterprise, variously demanding brandy, finding time to put on eyeliner off-screen, and generally giving William Shatner a lot of opportunity to practice baring his teeth and glaring. He sneaks into Yeoman Rand's quarters and lurks there. When she comes back, he monologues at her about how they've been hiding their feelings and then grabs her, repeating, don't fight me, and attempts to rape her. She fights him off, scratching him, and before the violence can continue, they're interrupted by the random technician. Sweaty Kirk jumps him and runs off. For the rest of the episode, Spock and Dizzy Kirk traips around the Enterprise trying to find Sweaty Kirk, while Scotty works on repairing the transporter and Sulu tries not to freeze to death planetside. 
Dizzy Kirk doubts every decision he is called on to make and concludes that he needs his negative, evil side in order to function as captain. Also, there are some shenanigans with an alien unicorn lapdog. At no point does Dizzy Kirk relinquish command. A couple interjections from this episode. Bones is really judgy about the technician who fell. You picked a good day, Fisher. Business has been a lousy. What'd you do, take a fall on purpose so you could get a little vacation? I'm back to duty status, Fisher. I have no sympathy for clumsiness. Yes, sir. Some weird ableism right there. Um, Uhura is literally nowhere to be seen. Uh, we guess that giving Rand lines meant that they reached their lady quota for the episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, the transporter technician working with Scotty is Crewman Wilson, played by Garland Thompson, the only black person on screen in this episode who says about five words total. Kevin, you had a couple tidbits about this episode that you wanted to share. This is the first time that Star Trek, they will bring in outside well-known writers, or especially well-known science fiction writers. And uh, this episode was written by uh, Richard Matheson, mm. who's best known for stories like uh, I Am Legend and oh. or What Dreams May Come. Most famous in TOS, we have, you know, Harlan Ellison, outside writer mm -hmm. who did Jump See on the Edge of Forever. Trek will continue continue this throughout all the series. Most recently, Michael Chabon, as of right this recording, he will be apparently the showrunner for the Star Trek Picard series. Ooh, so I'm that so is also really that. very excited and yeah. like, that's pretty great. And this episode is very noticeable, uh, notable because it establishes two of what would become the show's favorite tropes, transporter accidents and <laughs> evil duplicates. Mm, those are excellent points. I, I'm really excited for Michael Chabon. I didn't know yeah, about that before awesome. this conversation. Um, also, you and I, I made you watch that episode of the animated series mm -hmm. with the, the Gazinti. Mm -hmm. And that is another episode that was written by a famous sci-fi writer. Mm -hmm. Larry Niven. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ringworld. I really like that episode, but Becca fell asleep. So, you know, just because I fell asleep doesn't mean I didn't like it. Maybe I was just sleepy. I felt bad. I was like, oh, maybe this wasn't the most riveting thing to watch. I think that the animated series is never the most riveting thing to watch. I do use it to fall asleep on planes. Yeah. That is. Um, before true. we get too much further down these beautiful rabbit holes, let's um, summarize oh, yeah. Bound. Oh, yeah. Bound was Enterprise Season 4, Episode 17. It aired in April of 2005. The Enterprise encounters a vessel of the Orion Syndicate, which is initially seen as a threat before the captain of the Orion vessel, Harad Sar, says he has a business proposal for Captain Archer. In the course of deal-making, Archer and Reed attend a meal on the Orion's vessel which culminates in a sexy belly dance performed by three Orion slave girls. The three women, Navar, Dinesh, and Maras, are later transferred to the Enterprise as a token of the Orion's goodwill. The women's presence causes quite a ruckus. Many of the crew members are acting aggressive, letting the women into tactically sensitive areas of the ship and divulging privileged information. The female crew members report intense headaches Dinesh takes a special interest in the new head of engineering, Kelby, and after learning more than she should about operating the engine, sabotages it. Meanwhile, T'Pol and Tucker are the only crew members that are not affected by the Orion's hypnotism due to their psychic sexual link. They come up with a plan to thwart Orion's capture of the Enterprise. Once Haradsar arrives, he reveals that he is also in the Orion women's thrall. Despite Archer working against them, T'Pol and Tucker save the Enterprise and Navar, Dinesh, and Maras are sent back to the Orion ship. Finally, Trip and T'Pol make out. 
That's my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Same. Uh, tidbits? This one was written by uh, Manny Cotto, who did become the showrunner. I think he's trying to uh, deconstruct the Orion Slave Girls a bit by sort of, again, spoiling the twist here for an sh- oh, episode yeah. that's almost about 15 years old at this point. We are a completely spoiled podcast. Yes. You know, at yeah, this point, but basically spoils. that they're in control. But again, I think it was very two steps forward, maybe two steps back. And maybe sort of a gold star, like, well, you tried, kind of a thing. Um, because, again, they're still subjects of the male gaze. I mean, they're not even really fully formed characters that are really right. developed. And, you know, it is, it's, and also the Orion culture is also very played into this uh, stock uh, Oriental, uh, Middle Eastern um, kind of. Uh, stereotyping oh, it's yeah. decorated the and also the name and also the name too the name yeah. of the guys his name is uh, Harad Sar this yeah. is going during the war on terror and everything so it's like well all that stuff isn't really especially good now but especially then the Orion slave girl I mean I'm glad that they tried to take a look at it a lot of what Enterprise is attempting to do as a series is just sort of like look further into the canon and flesh out things that weren't really fully fleshed out before mm-hmm. and the Orion slave girl like these are the first ones we ever meet but they've been casually discussed in Star Trek for like 50 years at this point what's her name I know you know her name. Vina? So, Vina. The original. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Vina in um, the Menagerie slash uh, the original. Cage. The, the, cage, cage, the Cage. The original yep. pilot episode. Uh, she appears as an Orion slave girl for a period of time, right. but like is actually a human woman. People are just sort of like casually mentioning encounters with them throughout TNG and DS9. The notion of we're going to go spend some time with an Orion slave girl, it's like code for we're gonna have a leisurely sexy time. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say they are yes. basically sex workers, they are of, sex of, workers. of the Star Trek universe. Yeah. 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 In the Kelvin universe there's just an Orion girl who is Uhura's roommate at the academy. Yeah. I think they were no. trying to maybe give that Orion stereotype like maybe give her some agency and mm. have her not be a slave girl. But and... she was still the sex girl. Right, because like she was still Kirk shown is... in her underwear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she was she still kind of Kirk, kind of right? sexified. Yeah. 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 Sexy green alien who. But she's also a Starfleet cadet. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. You yeah. were saying there's yeah. something that was coming into the canon. They're like an underground railroad. Oh for yeah, escape. I think this was something I read about the Kelvin universe mm. when the director was asked like, why was there an Orion girl? Um, at the academy, and he was like, she got out through the Underground Railroad. We're not sure if that's in the in the Prime Universe or not. So, so we paired these two episodes together to kind of investigate what Star Trek thinks about this trope of there's a beast inside every man. Any man can lose control given the right stimulation. So I think my question is, what do we think about from these two episodes that as a notion? Mm-hmm. And do we think that either or both of these episodes are effective at telling us a story about what it means to be outside of control? I have a lot of thoughts. Most of them are about Captain Kirk running around shirtless and being sweaty and like (laughs) um, Yeoman Rand's hair, which Uh I definitely want to get to. Mm -hmm. But I do not think if I were split into two people, one of me would be a rapist. Mm -hmm. But um, I am not a dude. So 
Kevin, how does this sit with you? Not great. Not great, honestly. Yeah. No, not great. <laughs> we thought to involve you in this conversation, especially because of some um, comment thread that happened on Star Trek chip posting. That was specifically bound, yes. And I think what I was sort of getting at with that episode is that um, that the, the episode is basically rooted in the idea that men are unable to control themselves in the presence of a beautiful woman. And this is very troubling on a number of levels because it obvi obviously because it ties into issues of basically slut shaming and victim blaming, especially around victims of like sexual assault. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, in these terms, it's very close to justifying the rhetoric sort of a rape culture, suggesting that women have an obligation to present themselves or behave in a particular way so that men won't be enslaved by their biological, you know, impulses. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's also an incredibly sexist portrayal of male sexuality as well, because it denies men, you know, choice when it comes to their own sexual decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's really upsetting to see Archer, who we've seen be a very principled character, I think. Um, even if we don't always agree with what his principles are, because sometimes he thinks that he's like superior to other cultures, he seems to be pretty in control of like his sexuality. And the moment that he meets these ladies, he's just like, oh yeah, I can, we can, that's great. Give me some women to seal the deal. Perfect. Uh, Very out of character. Yeah, it's like yeah. a complete shift. And like, I get that they've got these weird ass hormones, but he's like not even like aware that he's acting different. Right towards the end of the episode, it's revealed that Herod Sar is also in the thrall of these women mm. and that in fact he is their slave. I think that like the attempt to kind of complicate the Orion slave girl narrative by making them the actual agents of power in that relationship is really weird. Yes. Because they are still performing this entire ruse of we're powerless, we're enslaved, we're pretty dumb objects. It doesn't ring true to me that this is what these women, like given this particular set of skills, yeah. their abilities that they would they would behave this way. Sure, like if I were if I were able to control any man that I were around, like if their goal was to like steal the enterprise, they could have just gone on and done it. Why aren't they just running the empire? Like why is it that they have to like hypnotize their pimp? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. It's so fucking weird. It is weird. This is kind of out of left field, but I deeply loathe the movie Sucker Punch. <laughs> For a similar reason, mm. where in I don't know what this is. Okay, so Sucker Punch I've is this, I've I seen did, this yep. film. Is a Zack Snyder film where there's like six women characters, and they're actually in like a mental hospital, but they are in a shared hallucination. And one layer of their shared hallucination, they're like whores in a whorehouse, and then the, like the next level deep of their shared hallucination, they're like badass fighting machines. Mm -hmm that get to, I don't know, use martial arts, whatever. Anyway, in this in this second- It's as weird as it sounds. Layer sounds, yeah. of their shared delusion, which is like, like their this. escape from this horror show of the mental institution that they're trapped in. They are whores. I just really dislike the notion that like the way that women would choose escapism is to put themselves yeah. in the role of sex slaves. And I'm not saying that people should not be able to be sex workers. Like I absolutely encourage sex work and I think that decriminalization of sex work is extremely important. Yeah. But I don't think that most women when given the choice would like 
create their fantasy world as one in which they were prostitutes. Yeah. And then for some reason, the deeper level is now they're superheroes. Like, why are they just not superheroes? Right. Then? Why yes. do we have to go through this intermediate level oh. where they all work in a brothel? It feels like it ties to this episode because these women have an extraordinary amount of power, but the way that they choose to express it is so confusing to me. I mean, this doesn't like necessarily talk to what is masculinity, but it does maybe speak to that the only true power is male and so mm. that they, they they've decided that the only way that they can actually capture true power is through these like wiles is by For manipulating sure. men right yeah yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, if we go through the plot points of the episode, right? Like, at first, all the men are kind of just, like, really into them. And it's really only the men that are affected. Are there any lesbians on the ship who are into it? Or do they also have headaches and they're just really confused with this Or point? any gay yes. men who would not be affected by it. We don't see that either. Yes. Every man is enthralled by these women. women. Okay, but, so for the dudes... Then we have Trip. Yes. See, Trip and Paul basically aren't affected because they're really deeply, you know, in love with one another. Mm. And that love explains why they're not attracted by the unrestrained, you know, right in sexuality. It seems very puritanical almost because true love is the only way, you know, characters to resist the pull of untamed female sexuality. Mm. And also at this point, Trip and Paul aren't even in a sexual relationship. Haven't they had Tri sex one time? Okay, maybe they had sex they had, once. No, they had sex one time. I mean, they're so having thing, sexy yes. daydreams about each other. Yes, yeah, sexy daydreams about each other. It's been played in the episode. Yeah. No, but you're. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, even if they're not in currently in a sexual in, in, relationship, current, like, like ongoing sexual relationship. Yes, Trip doesn't need or want sex because he's in love, mm. and that's something that's really completely separate. It's this really weird, uncomfortable uh, subtext about. Sex. The green-skinned alien women all around and everything, but it's very uncomfortable about talking about matters of sex. Sex is not a positive or beautiful thing or something to be enjoyed or shared. It's a weapon that can be used. Right. It's a weapon to be used that could bring men to their knees. Can yeah. I can I talk about the dancing? Yes. So, Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, so this is like 2005, right? And so it's a few years off from like Britney Spears' I'm a Slave for You, which I think was 2002 <laughs> or 2003. The dance that they do is very Britney. It is very early 2000s. It's like something between like a pop music video and belly dancing. And I love it so much. <laughs> it goes on for too long. I think it would be effective at getting the male audience members to be like, oh yeah, these are sexy ladies. Because like me with like, my bisexual ass. I was like, oh yeah, I love this scene. This is great. And then I tried to show it to Becca once and she was like, this goes on forever. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. No, I am just... It, I think it's definitely referencing I'm a Slave for You, which is also a song about being a slave. That like segues into something that I thought was interesting about this episode. So throughout the episode, they are clothed in the same attire that they're wearing while they're doing this dance, which yes. is a bikini top, and kind of thongs with like a sarong sort of draped up, but like spacey, so it's like mesh and yeah, like, holographic they, and like, whatever. They didn't like bring their suitcases with them. No, no. <laughs> they packed one set of clothes, yeah. which they wear the whole I time. And it's very, it's like they must be kind of cold because I can't imagine that the Enterprise is like a balmy 75 degrees. But the person who comments on what they're wearing yes. is to Paul. I've been hearing some concerns from the crew. Concerns? The Orion women. Their presence is becoming disruptive. You're telling me. The 
crew isn't used to having Orions on board. It's more than that. Our guests visited the mess hall this morning. As a result, 12 crewmen reported late for their shifts. I get the picture. It's primarily their attire. Or lack of it. I'll see about assigning them some clothes. And I think that this gets into the mouth of a woman because it is often placed on women to police other women's behavior and attire. Why are we always the ones who have to be like doing this policing? At first it makes sense because T'Pol is not affected, right? Like she doesn't have the headaches. But she's the one who brings up to Archer that slavery is bad. Yeah, right. Yes. Reminding him like, That's hey, true. we don't condone slavery, remember? So this is just sort of thrown in along with like her being the reasonable one. But it definitely mm. gives me, I mean, I've been watching a lot of um, The Handmaid's Tale right now. And it gives me like major Aunt Lydia vibes. Like we're going to put the women in charge of policing the other women. So I feel like we, we've talked out the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, I think we can take a break here and uh, regroup and talk about the enemy within after our break. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome back, Intertractional listeners. We're all still here. <laughs> In case you're wondering. Yes, we are still yes, here. Yes, we're all still here. We're all still yeah. here. We had some kitten time on the break. It was glorious. <sighs> Love those kittens. Foster kittens. Yeah, foster kittens. Um, speaking of foster kittens, can we talk about how cute the unicorgi was? Oh my god, a unicorgi is so good. <laughs> that's what passed for an alien in the 1960s, you know. It is so A, a dog with a little unicorn horn on, too. Yeah, and he's got, like, he's got some little antenna. Uh-huh. Yes. That's true. What's really funny, though, is if you notice that the continuity, the horn does move from side to side. <laughs> from one thing yeah. to the other. Like, they didn't really keep it straight in the center. It's kind of off to one side, then it's kind of off to the other side. Yeah. I was really impressed with that dog actor, though, from not trying to pull all that stuff off, because I cannot keep my dog in a costume. Yeah, well, we did notice in the transporter scene, one of and them was clearly a doll. doll. It's clearly a doll. Wait, they so they didn't even have dog. two dogs? No, they yeah. have one what? real dog, dog, and the other one that's laying on its side is it's clearly a, little, a doll. True. And then yes. when, after they so reveal small. that it didn't make it, it's just the doll. Aww. Yeah. No unicorgies were harmed in the filming of this <laughs> episode. When they first showed you at the very beginning, also had a weird uh, continuity in the sense of like his yeah, his combat, no, his emblem, no combat. emblem like was not on his uniform in the very beginning, but then the next scene it's just on there. Wait, does regular, not regular Kirk, does, Good Kirk. um, Dizzy Kirk, Dizzy Kirk, does Dizzy Kirk have a combat? Yes. yes. Huh. But Sweaty Kirk did not, and then in the next scene he did, he it was just a this little just weird, a it was just a continuity yeah, error, I'm but... assuming, but when he came out of the transporter, he did not have a combat. Yeah, this is so, a Star Trek podcast after all, so we have to point these things out. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's important. I mean, I was, I thought it was really funny that, uh, that Dizzy Kirk immediately changes into like his tunic, like his wraparound, like Diane von Furstenberg, like yeah. wraparound shirt. He's just like, you know what I feel like today? <laughs> Deep V. Which brings us one of our, our favorite things on this podcast, uh, Shirtless Captain. Mm -hmm. um, because Spock walks in to confront him like while he's changing clothes. And like yes. they have this very serious, like, have you been drinking Captain conversation while he's shirtless? So well, I, I, yeah, I think yeah. Kevin's comment during that scene was, oh, the fanfic writers probably went crazy. Went crazy. Like the spurt. I'm just going down a costume rant, you guys. Yeah. All right. If you pull me back at any point. But okay, so like further on the, the eyeliner note, so like not only does Sweaty Kirk stop to put on his eyeliner, like does like a really good job. Like mm -hmm. he, he's like, 
He's doing like the inner. He's doing the waterline. The waterline. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Then later when Yeoman Rand scratches his face, he covers it up with makeup that he just has in his room already. I saw like, that. That is the, the only thing, thing sitting, it's the on, only that thing sitting on the console. Like, or the so desk right there. Like, near, like, Captain one Kirk makeup, is just like putting on makeup like every day. Just yeah, like for, after and he just hair sprays for some his, reason. Yeah, That's the only yeah, thing but, that was on there. And I do have to say too, because we watched it in high def. Mm. Mm. Doesn't look very good in high def. Like no, that makeup that he uses to cover up those scratches. You can still see them. Not really working no. yeah. you know back in the mm-hmm. 60s that wasn't an issue now that we watch everything in super high def you can yeah. see yeah yeah um and then i just i really wanted to talk about yeoman rand's hair because like it's like this basket weave like honey- beehive beehive thing. i was gonna say beehive. honeybee beehive hair <laughs> and i was really excited so like when when uh sweaty kirk has snuck into the room to like uh, assault her and he's waiting and like watching her in the shadows. She looks like she's about to take her hair down and I was like so excited like, oh my God, we're gonna see how it works. What's under there? Uh, (laughs) But then he interrupts her. (laughs) Damn him. I mean, that was one of the things that looking, especially looking back at TOS now, all of the women's hairstyles were so intricate and involved. And I can almost see that with some of the guest stars, how they're, you know, these aliens and these exotic costumes and everything. But female Starfleet officers yeah. are not going to have time to do their hair like that. I mean, even no. Christine Chapel has this big beehive flip mm-hmm. thing. And the only one that had fairly normal, quote-unquote, hair was Uhura. But even Uhura's hair, it's not natural no. hair. So she's... Like, even though it's, like, supposedly looks sim- simple or it's probably a whole process there, too. Interesting aside, too, with Nichelle Nichols, when you see her in publicity photos during that time, she had natural curly hair. Mm. So I'm assuming they would either put a wig on her or they mm. straightened her hair. All of the other women on that show have these incredible... And Yeoman Rand is probably the best example of this really involved, intricate hairstyle that I don't think any... No woman was is going to get up every day and do that to their hair no. especially someone this in space i don't think there was a space salon on the show <laughs> it's a uh, weird expectation of do you presenting a femininity just remember so this is a weird aside but when i was in high school one of the books we had to read was memoirs of a geisha yes um, i remember where they talk about how they had to do their hair and sleep on and the, the, sleep the, the on wooden the, like wooden shelf and you have to sleep yes. very still to not mess up that hair. And I think that these 60s, like, bouffants and beehives... They kind of had to do the similar. same thing. I mean, they either slept with something wrapped around it to mm. keep the hair in place, or they had to sleep on their, you know, on their chin, mm-hmm. like, not move their head. Oh, my goodness. Because they would go get this these elaborate hairstyles done at the beginning of the week, and that had to last them throughout the whole week. There was also so much hairspray. I'm... Almost sure with with Yeoman Rand that that was a hair piece. I mean, that obviously yeah, was not her yeah. Real so I'm like, hair. maybe she was just gonna take it off. Yeah, that would make more like sense. More feasible than anything else, frankly. Yeah. In the scene with Yeoman Rand and uh, Sweaty Kirk. Oh yeah, who's I wanted been just lurking, to talk about how. And she's scene. like, she's um, dealing with her hair before she gets accosted. Um, he says to her, "You're too beautiful to ignore. Too much woman." And it's like this is the impetus for his attack on her is that she's just too beautiful and can't handle it. We know that this is a divided portion of Kirk's personality, but this excuse is used, this type of excuse, like, 
what you're wearing or how you present right. yourself is like making me lose control. It makes me angry. It's very tough to sort of watch a scene where Kirk tries to sexually assault Rand because, again, in real life, knowing that uh, Grace Lee Whitney would be sexually assaulted herself a few weeks later on the set of Miri by an anonymous uh, studio executive. And sort of the abuse that Whitney experienced is one of the most, I think, shameful moments in the history of the Star Trek franchise. And it's really a demonstration of some of the problems the series had with sexism behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Nobody was ever held accountable for it. And, you know, Whitney herself was let go after her 13-episode contract elapsed. And, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a show about a bright, enlightened future, and it seems that the sexual politics behind the scenes were, you know, a little bit regressive. I think it gives it's upsetting it, you know, that it's we don't upsetting. know who it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really was routinely familiar. covered up during, I was going to say during that time period, but even today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. <laughs> it's a difficult scene to watch even not knowing that. I was like, I couldn't believe this was on television. Sexual assault on women is a plot device. It's used in this episode to demonstrate how deeply evil this version of Kirk is. Mm -hmm. It goes on for quite a bit. Yeah. And then, and then she calls to Fisher. I think he's a geological he, technician. The geological yeah. tech, the, the clumsy guy. And yeah. she actually calls for Spock. She says, yeah. get Spock. I am, so I am all about Fisher. He just like goes through it in this episode. Like he cuts his hand. He fucks up the transporter. He witnesses the captain trying to rape Janice. And then when they're like investigating later, like uh, McCoy and Spock and Dizzy Kirk go to question Janice Rand and he just keeps being like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Yeah. And she's just like- Look at my face. Do I have scratches? No, exact, yeah. exactly. He's like, look at me, look. And she doesn't want to look at him because like yeah. he just assaulted her. That is one of the things that bothered me so much about that scene was it's all about Kirk. Yeah. It's not about the fact that this woman has just been sexually assaulted by the captain of the ship. It's all about, well, let's make sure that she knows it wasn't me. Not yeah. helping her through this trauma of just suffering a sexual assault. I don't understand why he was in the room, but she is so ballsy. She's like, Fisher saw you too. Her. and they bring yeah. Fisher in and he's like it was you and they're like do you know what you're saying which is almost being like are you really going to accuse me like right. this is a really big deal good for this guy being a good ally and then you know we find out that his first name is Bucko <laughs> <laughs> McCoy's like, come on, bucko, I'm going to like look at you. You got hit on the head. Yeah. And also, like, he brings he brings bucko to sickbay. <laughs> he doesn't bring Janice to sickbay. Nothing ever happens after that assault. She's not taken to sickbay. She's not taken to a counselor. No. She, there's nothing. nothing. And she tries to have some sort of concluding conversation with Kirk. Which is after awful. He's, you know, after he's recombined with himself and he's this whole person at the end of the episode, she's not even allowed to talk. Captain? The imposter told me what happened. Oh. Who he really was. And I'd just like to say that... Well, sir, what I'd like to say is that... Thank you, Yoma. What is he thanking her for, exactly? Right. She's, uh, he didn't yeah. even know what she was going to say. I mean, it almost seemed to me like it was supposed to be an implied apology by Rand that she had mm. accused him of doing this well, when it wasn't him, which was infuriating. They had been telling everyone else on the ship that there was an imposter aboard. Right. Mm -hmm. And she knew the truth because 
uh, evil eyeliner Kirk, like, tries to get back into her room. Like, runs into her at one point and is like... Um, you know, some, I want to explain myself. I want to explain myself, There's been yeah. a mistake. And, yeah, And yeah. I come by your, cab, your, your yeah. quarters later, later to talk to you. And so you she, know she wants to say... Fuck no. Oh, right. Yeah. So he's trying to get back in her room, mm-hmm. but he's also like, I was split in two in the transporter. And he's like right. trying to claim that he was the right. good one. So she knows that it was really him or not really him, or she knows it wasn't an imposter. And so she's like, the other Kirk told me what happened. Ugh. The treatment of Rand in this episode is so frustrating because she is a device to communicate that sweaty Kirk is evil. Her actual feelings are on the matter. Don't wait at anything at all i just want to say that her performance was really good though yeah um i mean i think she did the best she could with what they gave her in this episode we haven't gotten into the 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 spock quote at the end either okay but i mean that was another part of it that was really infuriating and right after she is not like able to have a conversation with kirk spock comes up to her and says Imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say? Human. Which is like, she does get for yes. her, to yes. her credit, mm-hmm. she does give him, yes. she does give him the stink eye. She doesn't say anything. She gives him yeah. the stink eye, and then she just kind of walks away. But uh, yeah, what was that even supposed to mean? Are are we now yes. like being rape apologists? This, yeah, like, it's, in saying it's, that this was okay. And it's or... the final. It's the final joke of the episode. You know, nobody realized that it really wasn't an appropriate line to close on at all for the episode, you know? And I just can't imagine any more cruel or insensitive comment a man, or Vulcan for that matter, could make to a woman who's just been through sexual assault. It feels diminishing, it feels Trivializing the whole event. Very much so. But then again, right, you you do see that some men really do think that women, you know, want to be, you know raped or something yeah. you know what I mean? like I don't I don't understand why they let the why they let that line in and yeah I think Spock has the some... episode hadn't been great about it up until that point they'd at least treated it seriously even if not all the care like they're like this is a serious accusation the camera treats it really seriously um you know makes it seem very dramatic like focuses on like her crying face mm-hmm. And, like, there's no way you can, like, downplay what's going on, and but Spock makes the point to do so. Another thing that Spock says in, in a totally different scene that I found really difficult, Dizzy Kirk is like, we need to tell people what's happening. Yes, I'll make an announcement to the entire crew. Tell them what happened. It's a good crew. They deserve to know. Captain. No disrespect intended, but you must surely realize you can't announce the full truth of the crew. You're the captain of this ship. You haven't the right to be vulnerable in the eyes of the crew. You can't afford the luxury of being anything less than perfect. If you do, they lose faith, and you lose command. Yes, I do know that, Mr. Spark. What I don't know is why I forgot that just now. I was really kind of taken aback by that as a commentary on leadership, commentary on what it is to be a captain. My definition of leadership vulnerability is really important. Bringing people in to what's really going on is like the way that you get people motivated to act like the way that you want them to act and behave as a team. 
And here we have Spock communicating this form of leadership where the person who's in charge cannot be perceived as vulnerable. Very dictatorial. Yeah. Like that's not what Starfleet is about. I don't really understand how that's showing weakness. He didn't do anything. This transporter accident happened. happened. He didn't do anything anything. to cause this to happen. Sure. I mean, but it's not, I feel like it's not weakness and that he messed up. It's just like, it's weakness in that something's wrong with him. Like, he's okay, been attacked. That's a fair point. I mean, this is something we've seen in history. Like, uh, FDR went out of his way to, like, never be seen in a wheelchair. Faked his ability to walk, basically. By, like, walking with other people and, like, leaning on them. Um, uh, just other, other presidents who've had, like, problems with, like, their mental capacity or, like, you know, started to experience Alzheimer's. That's always hidden. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of the West Wing right now, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not West a real... so good. Not a real president, <laughs> well, I mean, but so there are people so that good. say that, that Ronald Reagan was suffering from Alzheimer's. Right, yeah. And that was covered up by his administration. So yeah. that's probably the real-life story that Corollary, they took that from yeah. for the West mm-hmm, Wing because mm-hmm. that did... It, it's never been an official account but yeah it's not been confirmed right i mean it's never yeah. it's never been confirmed but that is the this is the rumor yeah. that he yeah. was especially in his second term that he was suffering from alzheimer's and it was just covered up yeah and i think mm-hmm. this ties back into one of the criticisms that i have about this episode is that at no point does uh dizzy kirk withdraw his command i think that this is a clear instance where he was not fit to command yes he didn't have the capacity to do so like part of what's wrong with dizzy kirk is that he can't make decisions right no but there is one point where i think it's spock says are you relinquishing command because he can't make this decision and he won't he still won't won't do it yeah yeah. I mean, this sort of like brings me to something that I really want to talk about, which is what characteristics were in each half of the split apart Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evil Kirk gets a love of makeup and rapiness. <laughs> right. And a, an appetite for sorry and brandy. Mm-hmm. But like, what else is over there? So apparently what else is, one of the other things that's over there is like his ability to make decisions, yeah. which is an odd thing to equate yeah. with that. But like his... His force of will, I think, mm. is one of the big things. And impulsive, too, I think. Very impulsive yeah, see, well. I think that's so strange is that, that he's following his impulses but also can make yeah. decisions. And I'm like, that, yeah. to me, that seems contradictory, but mm. they throw it, it together. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that could be true of making difficult decisions, difficult command decisions when there's a crisis, mm. but there really isn't a crisis here. The crisis is the fact that he's been split into two. The idea that his dark half has to come to the rescue kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because he is, he's like a rampaging id. He has no control over anything. So how is that the half that's good at making decisions? It also doesn't really make sense because his like evil half, whatever the sweaty half, and I kind of like, I made that distinction between sweaty and dizzy Kirk because I don't really like this dichotomy of like one is good and one is evil. Nevertheless, his evil half is like kind of grunting and monosyllabic. Whereas his good half still has like a very high level of command of language. Intelligence for mm-hmm. sure. I think McCoy points that out too. Yeah. But yeah. wouldn't your intellect be what's responsible for making good decisions? Yeah. Yes. Like, yep, Thank you. you. That's yep. what yep. didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. What does it take to make decisions? So for me, I am like pretty good at making decisions most of the time. My executive functioning is pretty high. But when I get hungry... <laughs> I'm terrible at making decisions. Or hangry is sometimes yeah. called. <laughs> hangry. I definitely get hangry. 
Um, and throughout watching this episode with Ryan, I was like, all he needs is a nap and a snack. Yeah. You're like, he just has low blood sugar. (laughs) He needs a snicker. He's amazing. Yeah. And like Spock specifically says like that evil guy, your rapist half is what makes you a good captain. Yeah. And I'm like, I just love the line. I love the famous, famous line where he's going completely crazy. He's going completely bad. He smashes up the computer and he's yelling. He goes, I'm Captain Kirk. Yeah. This episode is probably the first time we get to see Shatner pull a Shatner. Mm. This yes. is him completely yes. chewing the scenery. This thing yes. chewing the scenery, completely going over. This is the first, I think really the first time we see him go over the top and with his facial expressions and the way he's emoting himself. Again, this is something that's the Star Trek uh, culture and fandom will yeah. constantly reference for years and ages up till now too. Just, yeah. like, just completely, just how he can what I, what I love overacting, right now, going overboard with it. You know, just... I mean, you guys at home can't see, but like Kevin is completely demonstrating it, like physically. <laughs> Goes from like, side to side like this, great. and then to this. You know, they'll, they'll zoom in. They go, it's so amazing. It's one of those moments where I can't tell if I love his acting or I hate his acting, but yeah. I'm just like, for what's going on, he leans into it. But then also, like, God, that line. I remember the first time I was watching this, I was like, oh no, he's an attempted rapist. And I was like, oh, but it's not really him. And the moment you think it's not really him, like, what does he scream? The imposter is not to be injured. Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. He is Captain Kirk. Because he is. I mean, he is one part of Captain Kirk. Yeah. They're conceding what? that like some of these darker drives are necessary, and you know the show is generally so idealistic mm. that this concession could be a little strange, actually, to a certain extent. I think. I mean, I don't know what I would be if I like gave into my baser elements. Like we all have things that we're trying not to to shoplift all the beautiful clothes we see or yeah maybe that's what I would do (laughs) Um, but really is there really like a a rapist trapped inside of every wonderful captain or straight Mm. man like Mm. it makes me so sad it's interesting that that if he is if his evil half is pure evil that the first thing he do he would do would be to rape someone. I mean, in a way, they're saying rape is horrible, and only right. an evil person would do it. So mm-hmm. that kind of flies in the face of everything else we've been talking about in this episode yeah. about how it is so sexist and misogynistic. And that's going back to sexual assault on women as a plot device. It, it's a really interesting tension, you know. And I think if they'd handled some other things better, like if they'd given yoman ran more of a voice and i don't know given her a medical checkup mm. and allowed or her something yeah yeah and allowed yeah. her to speak at the end and like if he had apologized to her at the end instead of the other way around like we might be looking at this whole episode differently can we do in a like a, a random talk about the fandom like yeah. moment oh yeah yeah because well, yeah, i had God. some I yes. had some questions. Uh, I, I'm sure we can we can edit this so it makes more sense. But okay, so Kevin, what's your favorite character? Ah, <sighs> favorite oh character. So in all of Star Trek? Yeah, I mean you can pick two if you need to. I'm actually a big Picard fan. For me, uh, Star Trek: Next Generation was actually the first Star Trek that I had watched. It was constantly reruns airing all the time. Yeah. So I had constantly watched with my father, who introduced me to Star Trek, and um, Picard, <laughs> as he says in the episode with uh, Captain Picard Day, <laughs> I'm a role model. His speeches, my God, his speeches, right. his inspirational speeches uh, still hold up, I think, to this day. He's supposed to be the best of us. He's someone yeah. that you're supposed to aspire to be. I'm getting over like 
PTSD trauma like he had oh, with like yeah. the Borg and all this stuff and how well, he like... Well, I can't wait to see how that... Because I think they're going to look into that In more. the Picard show. And yeah. also, again, I love a man can be in touch with his emotions. I guess I have this thing for like the captains and they have their emotions and they break yeah. down and cry. Does I don't know, it just really affects me. No. 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 Probably not because she's a woman. That yeah, exactly. exactly. It was this, they were towing this fine line with Janeway. They didn't want to play into right. an emotional, emotional female, right? But Michael gets to cry. Yeah. Michael, Michael cries, cries a lot. A lot, yeah, especially in season two. But she's not a captain yet. Yet. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Captain Picard is. Um, yeah. Is that also your favorite series? Um, it's tough. I go back and forth really between Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. There's a lot of great, memorable, standalone TNG episodes that have stood with me to this day. DS9 really kind of explored and deconstructed uh, sort of the idea of Gene Roddenberry's utopia within Earth, basically saying, all right, you can have this utopia on Earth. You can have that. Like, it's great. But there could be problems outside of that. And what are you going to do? Uh, um, Robin, just really, really quickly, favorite character and favorite series? Um, my favorite character, I have two. One is definitely Ahura. I yeah. love Michelle Nichols. She is a personal role model of mine. I've been fortunate enough to meet her several times, and every time she's, she's just great. been genuine and warm and amazing. And, I mean, everything she did, not only for... African-American women on television. I mean, her role was so groundbreaking, but everything she's also done for NASA and for yeah. developing an interest in space, especially for girls. Um, a little more current is I Love Garrick on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely my favorite character on Deep Space Nine. Um, okay, so I have a few more. I wanted to know if you, if either of you uh, have any idea why people are so obsessed with Tuvix. <laughs> so just like if you're listening at home and yes. you don't know there's there's an episode where Tuvok and Elix become one person and uh, Janeway her solution to the trolley problem is to um, to Destroy save more people the, yeah. so they, they turn them back into two people and uh, Tuvix dies a lot of people in the fandom think that Janeway is a murderer this comes up on the internet like every every single day every fucking Every single day. Yeah, it really does yeah. come up every single day. Every, why are people? Like, yeah, so I mean, I have my own opinions is, about why people are obsessed with it, but what do you guys think? I actually think mm. Tuvix is a great episode because it starts off as so goofy. They combine in the transport, right? transport accident. Right? I know, We're starting more this. This goes back to Enemy Within. How yes. like it was the first one? This starts off with the transport accident. These two characters are combined. Like, what's going on? And then you learn more about Tuvix. He seems to be this really great person. He's a better cook than Neelix was. Yeah, Janeway has to really uh, make that call, and I support that call, by the way. I think Jerry made the right decision. He was yeah. literally, literally an accident. Do you think that people would be this mad at Picard if he'd made that same decision? I don't think so, actually. No, I don't think they'd be as mad as Picard. And I think the only the only difference, I think Picard would come to the same conclusion. Maybe I think I think the only thing Picard would do is he would just talk to him a bit more. He would just give he would just give a big inspirational speech, I think, is the only difference. But I think Picard would come to the same conclusion if, for example, Worf and Data combined and were, you know, Weta. He Wild. would come to the same conclusion. He but would, like he but would he still would convince I think. them for it to be their idea. He would convince them to be yeah. idea. Right, and maybe have their consent and stuff. And I also look into that episode as being sort of a well pro-choice or pro-life kind of arguments mm. um like once the life is here we don't have a right to get rid of it right huh. i mean who's the mom like the ship <laughs> i guess like the, the transporter yeah. the transporter of the ship well, I, think that, yeah. I, I think it's right. tuvok and neelix yeah and that the reason that tuvix is you know forced to no longer exist is because they want neelix 
and Tuvok back. Yeah. Right. So it's like, granted, it's like, well, you're not getting Tuvix's consent, but like, right, but Tuvok and Neelix didn't get consent. Eat. They didn't have consent. I also just like wanted to to talk a little bit about the toxic elements in the fandom. People are just be- bitching about social justice warriors, like bitching about women in their Star Trek. Uh, like, no one can hate Star Trek like a Star Trek fan. fan. Yeah. Right? No one hates Star Trek more than a Star Trek fan. It's, it's absolutely true. Are you talking specifically about like Discovery and the whole sure. SJW yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. And... Like the, the backlash to Discovery, but then, I mean, also just yeah. kind of like the, the gatekeeping. I was, yeah, I was uh, general, I mean, yeah. that is the, the toxic element. The backlash to Janeway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just, no, there uh, is. Janeway gets... Uh, a lot of hate and a lot of yeah. you know, on me unfair criticism. It's like, yeah, like would Picard get that same treatment, right? Though so I had one question for you, Kevin. Oh, sure, um, absolutely. Fire away. I know that you're the <laughs> meme lord, and there's a particular meme. You keep coming back to the meme, uh, blank did nothing wrong. Yes, correct. And That's correct. <clears throat> I do do that. <clears throat> yes, I'm, correct. I'm curious, like, why you gravitate towards that meme and what you think about it from those, like, things on the internet. Hitler did nothing wrong, or... Goldicott did nothing wrong or whatever. That is very true. Um, sort of my attempt with that was, so when I was first doing my posts in Star Trek posting, when I was meeting sort of these Star Trek celebrities and having fun with it, I said, yes, this celebrity blank did nothing wrong. And I was trying to, at the time, make it into a more wholesome thing by saying this person did Because she literally wrong. did nothing wrong? Exactly. Because I knew about the Goldicott did nothing wrong thing. And so I kind of like, oh, okay, I'll just twist it on its head a little bit and make it a little more uh, wholesome and these are real people and blah, 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 and they make me happy and all this stuff. Yeah, so that's, I was a, kinda... that's a tenant of Star Trek shit posting is that Goldicott did nothing wrong. wrong. So yeah. I guess you were just it was taking a tenant that thing. I was just taking it. I was it. just taking a different spin and maybe it's somewhat more a wholesome spin on it because it was real and it was a real thing that was yeah. uh, He does get called on it a lot. Yeah, though. have you yeah, have you gotten backlash and like how do you feel about it? Yes, you have gotten backlash. But I would say um, more for when you do it with just people you've been out on dates with or right, more than yes. celebrities. <laughs> right, but yes, he of course, will go yes, on dates with people and then say so and so did nothing wrong. And That's there true, are people I will. that kind yes, of true. Wonder I why, that, where yes. that comes from, and and then they do bring up the you know historically this has been like a Hitler did nothing wrong kind of meme. I don't know. It's just I'm meeting these people in real life, and it's all been great, and I'm having great, positive, wonderful experiences. I'm trying to make Ooh. it a more positive, wholesome things. I'm trying to. I'm attempting to. Yeah. I'm attempting to. I guess in a way. That is kind of your thing. Are you on Star Trek wholesome posting? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Yes, I am. I am in Wait, that. Wait, is Star Trek Wholesome a thing? It's a subgroup. Yeah. Yes, subgroup. Nice. It's a, there it's is a also a Kevin shitposting group. Yes, Kevin oh, shitposting okay. is also a thing as well. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> right. And Kevin did nothing wrong con posting as well. Yes. We're going to link to both wow. of these. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. They're not nearly as active as the main group. The main group, of course, because the main group is 50,000 members. Yeah. You know, you know, I have met so many wonderful people uh, through this group as well, basically. Right. Uh, both of you, and then we met Robin. So, I, I, I love the Star Trek shitposting group. I think it comes under fire sometimes, but I think that the, the, I will say the mods and the admins have been really, really good at, like, shutting out the bad elements. Yeah. We're going to link to this in the show notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also just, hopefully I will, we will get this together by the time um, this airs. We yeah. really want to have, like, a Bay Area get-together yeah. for Star Trek shitposting people and just other Star Trek fans if you're listening to this. So, and, uh, you can come, come meet all of us. Cool. The yes. best way to keep up to date on that will be to join our Facebook group. Yes, join our Facebook group, um, which has about 100 members. Yeah. Not 50,000, but with your help, we can make 200. Yeah. Well, of course. Well, I mean, I mean, you're, are you saying I should make a post? You are saying that. Yes, I will do it. I didn't say that. You didn't say that. You didn't say that specifically. But if you are saying that, I absolutely will do oh it. Of course. Yes. All right. Well, I think, we have, I think we have to wrap up. 
Uh, but yes, please, Kevin, do that. Yes, please, Kevin, <laughs> do that. Absolutely. Yes, I will promote you, of course. Absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much for being our first official guest. Robin, course, thank you absolutely. so much for being you. our first unofficial guest. <laughs> this has been so great. I had so much fun. This was fantastic and wonderful. Yay. And I just want to say thank you again uh, for having me on. Live long and prosper. Live, Live long, long and prosper, prosper. LLAP. Peace and long life. Peace and long, long life. life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled like empire with an F before it. Because it's our lady empire. Fempire. Like, I oh, think yeah. I watched that when I was, like, 11 or 12. <laughs> and when like, Tom Paris is, like, you know, like, getting the whole thing, his tongue is, like, falling out. Like, that, yeah. that, that, and he's, like, talking about yeah. this. His tongue is falling well, out. It's funny, part, but so ridiculous, too. The part too. where he talks about how he was, like, everywhere at once, but also nowhere. And, like, that was, like, that was too metaphysically crazy for, like, my prepubescent self. And mm. I was, like, how yeah. that? Work? Like, that was keeping me up at night. And then all of his skin fell off. <laughs>